Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Thanks you for joining us today. We have a great interview with Drew Badger from the English Anyone YouTube channel and also the inventor and creator of the Frederick Learning to Read app that's available on, I think, on every single platform. Right, I think so. Across, you know, iPad and Android devices. It was a great interview. It's fantastic. We'll go a little bit into what we think about, you know, what Drew talked about and, and a lot of the things he said. But first, let's get you over to Facebook. <laughs> Join our Facebook group, Homeschool Together Podcast. Join our Instagram at Homeschool Together Podcast. If you could, go over to iTunes, leave us a review. Not just rate us, leave us a review. Tell them about how beautiful my voice sounds <laughs> and how wonderful Ariel's laugh is and that you couldn't get through the week without us. It would be really good if you could go out and do that. Nobody Maybe needs just, to say anything. You can literally just take that as a quote, and put it in there, you know, quote Michael Scott or something like that. No. I mean, we seriously do appreciate everyone who takes a, a moment to rate and review. The reviews are very helpful because other people can read what you really like about the podcast. Everyone's everyone's busy these days, and so it's nice to almost a review is like a like a rec- a personal recommendation. So we really appreciate it from everyone who's left reviews. We've spent a little time looking at our download numbers and we realized one of our most popular episodes that we've ever done was about our kinder program, what we're doing for our kindergarten. And Ariel has spent nights, weekends, (laughs) I think I caught her on the toilet with her laptop, working on (laughs) an amazing resource list. That's not true. It is so true. That's not true. It is so true. Um, Amazing resource list for kindergarten and a bunch of resources that you can get these are books movies youtube videos right we should we should preface this is for around the world study so for our kinder year we're going to be going to visiting all the continents and as many countries as we can squeeze in Mm -hmm. um, as our combo of build your library and torchlight and what i realized as i was planning it was that i was using more resources than what the curriculums actually prescribe i'm I've added national anthems for each country and I found more recipes and different things. And we thought we should really share this with our listeners. Yeah. So if you want to get a copy of this amazing resource list and we, we made it, we formatted it, make it look really nice. Right. So Um, I've just got North America done for the moment. So just North America, we're going to be adding more and more and more. And we'll continue to share that with you. Head down into the show description. You'll see a link there to go get it. Also, if you don't, you know, if you can't do it there and you want to do a little bit later, head over to our webpage, which is also in the show descriptions. And there'll be a link up at the top to go and download the resource file. And also, if this resource file isn't something that's helpful for you now, but you do want to stay in touch with the show, you can always go to this same link and you'll be able to sign up for our newsletter. And if there's any other resources that we come up with as we make them available, we'll be able to send you that information in our newsletter. We hope you all like it. And yeah. if you read the the books and watch the videos, I mean, let us know how it works out for you. I'm very excited. I've spent a lot of time. We've got United States, Canada, Mexico, Native people, Central America, and the Caribbean. So I have a lot of information. I've worked lots of hours on it. So I hope you all really enjoy it. So Drew Badger, really good guy. I really loved this interview. You know, we were chatting just before the podcast. You know, for a lot of us moms and dads who do the homeschooling, you know, we kind of go into it, we do our research, you know, we figure out what curriculums work, you know, we kind of understand how our kids are going to learn, we get the manipulatives, we go and buy all the games that Matt and Ariel recommend, (laughs) you know, we get you hooked on the game schooling. But the one thing that I think I've maybe haven't spent as much time looking up is really the theory around the education, around these very specific things that you're teaching your kids. And today we're going to be talking a lot with Drew about 
reading and, and a lot of the theory behind learning to read. And, and Drew's an excellent example of understanding how to teach a language. And that's primarily what he does is he right. teaches people English. So these well, he's, are, he's taught, I think, a couple million people yeah, like to, to has, be more fluent in English. Yeah. And so he has he has the background. I felt like this interview was a lot of this was like almost like talking shop. It was like seeing behind the curtain. Right. So yeah. we have the all about reading curriculum and it, it has things laid out in a specific manner of why it, it starts here and goes there. And, you know, we don't understand a lot of what's behind it. And so this was this was great. It was an opportunity to ask some questions about what. Well, why am I, why is it starting this way? And why am I having this struggle? And the app is really yeah, terrific. The, so it's, he has, it's great. He has an app called Frederick Learn to Read. And it's a wonderful little kind of playful app that we've actually been using in the last month or so. And I've noticed it helped, it has helped our oldest kind of get across a lot of hurdles that we've been having with reading. You know, we've been doing a lot of activities, but we've actually integrated this app as part of the learning experience and it's been really helpful. It's been great. So right. we'll have links to the app in the show notes. And again, it's across all devices and all platforms. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you have an Apple device or you have an Android device, I think he supports both. We'll make yep. sure to include links for both. It's a really wonderful app. You're learning how to build letters and words. And it's actually Drew's voice in the app. He has he did confirm that. Yeah, it was funny when we talked to him because yeah. I felt like we already knew him because yeah. we'd heard his voice. I've heard S- him say bad. T yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting. It's a it's a game where uh, the, there, there's not a lot of instructions, and the kids do kind of explore and figure it out for themselves. And he's our daughter very, really a, likes it. I think you'll hear in the podcast that he's a very very much an intrinsic learning kind of mentality when it right. comes to um, you know the education, you know, helping somebody learn a language. He he really believes that the kids can do it themselves, and you're there as a mentor. He'll talk a lot about that. So. Mm-hmm. Let's just jump right into the podcast. It's going to be a great 50 minutes. I really encourage you to sit through and listen to it. Drew is really good. Had a little bit of audio stuff, but I tried to clean up a lot of it. So it's a really, really good podcast. I really encourage you to listen all the way to the end. Drew's got a ton of great information. Mm-hmm. Great, fantastic YouTube channel. No frills, just really good education. And then this app is just killer. So let's hop into it. Interview with Drew Badger. Hi, Drew. Thanks so much for joining us today on the show. It's my pleasure. It's great to meet both of you. I appreciate it. Um, would you like to give us a little background, maybe a little introduction to who you are and what you've been doing and maybe this um, wonderful app that you've created? Uh, well, just to give a bit of background about my history for teaching, uh, I came to Japan in 2003 to teach English and to study Japanese gardening. And I really enjoyed uh, teaching, but I found it was um, it was good for helping people pass tests, but not become confident speakers. So, in addition to watching other people and how they were learning and seeing how they were continuing to struggle to speak, and also seeing how I had uh, experienced similar problems when I was learning different languages, and even as I just came to Japan and was struggling with that, uh, I decided to rethink the way people could learn. And it actually happened when I was. I was actually feeling quite depressed, uh, thinking, well, you know, I I should be a smart enough person to figure out a language, especially if I'm living in a foreign country. Uh, And I struggled actually a lot with Japanese, and it was quite embarrassing. You're living in some place and not able to communicate with people. But I happened to be walking through a park one day and wondering why I was struggling. I started to just look at the little kids and how they were learning differently than how I was learning. And so once I just realized they were basically doing the exact opposite of everything I was doing. So instead of learning with a textbook, they would actually just look at physical examples and see very simple things the way their parents were explaining them uh, or explaining to them things. Uh, I just adopted those same methods. And then as I became fluent in Japanese, I started applying that to my own teaching. And then I began teaching on YouTube. And that was about 10 years ago. And I started a company doing that and helping people learn online. And the holy grail for me has always been, how can I make a system that anybody anywhere in the world can use? Because, and this is maybe quite different from the way most teachers think, in my opinion, there is no such thing as a second language. So it's more about how you learn. And most people, if either of you two have tried to learn a second language, uh, you know it's typically taught where you are studying textbooks or you're you know, trying to just memorize things or listen to vocabulary 
uh, or dialogues that aren't actually the way people really communicate. If you learn that way, you don't become a very good speaker. Uh, in fact, those learning methods actually stop you from communicating. So I wanted to take the lessons I had learned and, and apply them in an actual system. And in the future, I plan to make more apps and more software because I felt that's the best way to learn, uh, is certainly for learning uh, beginners. But what I wanted to do is, again, make that system. And so Frederick, uh, the app, was the first one I created that not only my adult students could use, but also anybody, especially native-speaking you know, American kids or uh, kids from any, anywhere around the world could use to start teaching themselves English. So it's more like a video game than what would typically be done where you'd have a, a teacher try to tell you what something is. And we can get more into the details of it, but that's basically how it happened. So for a long time, I had the idea for the app about 10 years ago, but this was long before, you know, software or even just smartphone use was widely available and certainly not in the, the countries where I happen to teach. So we can get into more details uh, as you ask questions about it. I've had a, you know, I think Ariel's tried French. I've tried German and Spanish. Uh, did you try Spanish? In the, no, 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 just French. Just French. You know, I think it was just an absolute abysmal failure. You know, we watched a your short video around Frederick, the app, um, just, you know, a couple times now. And actually, it was really illuminating on how you explained not just the English language, but just, you know, how to learn the language or how to learn a language. Yeah. Could you go into a little bit about, you know, what is Frederick? What is the methodology? You talked a lot about a methodology where you kind of blend phonics and sight words and sort of your thinking around that. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so in general, the, the idea that I came up with or what happened with Frederick, and I, I think I explained this a bit more when I, I wrote you a, kind of a little bit of a synopsis of the reasons why I decided to do it. But there are a number of different factors that came together as these are the things I need to solve in order to create a solution that I want. And part of that was thinking about before we talk about learning a specific thing, we should step back and think about how learning actually happens and how it works well. And so thinking about that, and I've just studied education for a long time and having been a teacher in the classroom and also just teaching people online, you know, thousands of people uh, for over 15 years now, you see a lot about what works and what doesn't. And you notice it very quickly uh, it's almost an intuitive kind of thing when you look at young children and how they learn. And, you know, having, having children yourselves, you know, us, mm -hmm. us over here as well. Uh, like if you tell a child to do something, their first impulse is to say no, even if that mm -hmm. thing could potentially be good for them. And that part of psychology that I studied a long time ago, and I continue to just be fascinated by human psychology today, uh, but it's the idea that people are much more... Uh, kind of willing and uh, I don't know, like able or it, like just the ideas that we develop ourselves or the realizations or the experiences we have are much more believable to us and they become much more memorable rather than what we hear from other people. And there are a number of reasons for this, but you can see why, you know, humans might ne necessarily be a little bit nervous about what other people say. You know, you have to trust other people and believe mm -hmm. you know, what they're saying about certain things or there's an animal over there or something like that. And so there are lots of different reasons why you might want to think about uh, kind of believing your ideas more than somebody else's. But if you apply that same idea to language learning or really any learning in general, the more you can discover by yourself, the more you develop agency and ownership. And those two ideas are really important for how you actually learn something. So the way the brain actually learns, we can talk a little bit about that as well. But that basic idea of you needing to discover an idea rather than someone telling you what it is. Because if you've ever tried to just have a kid remember something by using flashcards or traditional repetition, uh, you see their eyes glaze over, the information goes in one ear and out the other, and it's really difficult for them to follow that up with, you know, you try to tell them something a day later and they're like, what? I don't even remember covering that thing. And so this happens not just for language learning, but for math or science or anything else where you're trying to teach something. And it's the difference even if I tell my child, hey, don't touch that stove, it's hot. Now, they might listen to me and they might believe me because they trust me, but they won't really know it's hot or what that really means until they try to touch it themselves. And then they learn that lesson very quickly uh, from that. 
And so when we have a situation where people need to learn something, uh, if they can discover that lesson by themselves, they feel a lot more excited about it. And I'll, I'll tell you just a quick story about this and make the point specifically for language learning. Uh, but as I live in Japan, I was in a different city called uh, Fukuoka. So I live in Nagasaki now. Uh, but in Fukuoka, I was visiting a friend of mine and we were going to go to a Korean barbecue restaurant. And I think he was a little bit late, but I was at the restaurant first. And at the table, I saw a poster for the Will Smith movie After Earth. You guys remember that? It came out a few years ago. Yeah, the one with him and his son. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So he and his son, and actually the, the point about him and his son being in the movie is important to the story. Uh, but I looked at it and the poster was all in Korean, but it was a regular movie poster the same way you would see a movie poster in English. Mm -hmm. And so I thought to myself, I wonder if I can figure any of this out. So I don't speak any Korean. I don't know anything really at all about Korean. I know it's, it's similar to Japanese, but uh, the written characters are different and pronunciation, things like that. Uh, but looking at the poster, I said, OK, what do I know about this? I'm using my own context, my own experience that I already understand about movie posters. And one of those things is that usually the names of the actors are at the top of the movie poster. And so I know that Will Smith and his son are both going to be on there. So if Will Smith and Jaden Smith, you've got the name Smith on there, you're probably going to have the same characters on there two times somewhere. I don't know whose name is first. I'm guessing, you know, Will because he's more famous. But, but sure enough, when I looked at the poster, I could see, okay, there's the same written characters, which don't really mean anything to me, but I could see it was the same thing for both names. So it's, you know, if we just look at it like square, triangle, square, and then, the second one was also square, triangle, square. And so I looked at it and I thought, okay, I've heard that Korean is similar to Japanese and that you've got these uh, phonetic sounds like ka, ki, ku, that kind of thing. And so if Korean is similar to Japanese, then you probably have a name like sumisu, and that's how you pronounce it in Japanese. Uh, so it turned out, actually, I checked later that, okay, that actually was the correct way to read that and so you could look at the characters and even the characters if it was square triangle square the two squares are the same so we know that has to be you know probably uh, the same sound so we'd get something like su ni su and when i looked at that also the name of the the name of the movie is after earth and so they don't have that th sound either and that same character was down in that so after it would be like ah su that kind of thing so looking at that, I said, wow, I just taught myself some Korean. And, you know, of course, I had to check online to see if I was correct. But when I found out I was, I said, you know what, that kind of learning, that's amazing. And that's what learning really is when you that moment when you actually discover something rather than somebody having told you what it was. And so in a, in a video that I made actually explained to parents how this works, uh, it's kind of like if you're watching a movie if you're watching some movie, you're really into it. It could be some thriller or something like that, but there's some kind of puzzle or it's a whodunit. You have to figure out who the killer is. If I come in before the end of the movie and I tell you who the killer was, you're going to be angry at me because you wanted the chance to discover that for yourself. Because that, that feeling of discovering something, especially as most movies are written, that the audience is supposed to discover who the killer was usually before the killer is actually revealed. And that's to make the audience feel more excited about watching it. So if I can make you feel, wow, like I, I figured it out before the characters in the movie, that you feel smart, you feel excited, and it's memorable. And so if you take that same idea, and this is just across you know, any group of people, as human psychology works for all of us, you make it available for people not to just be told something, but to actually discover how it works. So applying the same idea to Frederick, you're taking... Uh, instead of letting people like look at individual letters or words by themselves, you're letting them compare them. And then you get to see not just the difference of like, you know, C-A-T or C-A-B, but you can switch all the letters around to have like bad, bed, bid, bod, bud. And when you look at that, it's equally uh, profound, I guess you could say, and more just like the experience of seeing what it is rather than learning a bunch of flashcards individually. So you're getting to compare different things, which is, my, which is how the mind naturally learns. So going a little mm -hmm. bit more into the, the study of the way people learn, uh, like we understand dark when comparing it with light. 
or black and white or you know anything yeah. like that. We're looking at the opposites, and that's how we we create a foundation of learning that we build upon with more you know, difficult or complex subjects. But the things that we discover by themselves or by ourselves, I should say, uh, that's what creates that that memorable foundation, and that's why little kids are learning like that all the time. They're actually not learning very efficiently because most parents, when we're teaching kids, we don't. Uh, actually have a systematic way of teaching kids. So you actually could teach your own children not only to read faster, but just to, to learn your native language, whatever that native language is. Because most kids, and I was explaining this in a recent video as well, talking about my daughter, Noelle. So she's one and a half now. And she had gone recently, uh, she was going, walking to the shower to get in the shower with somebody. And uh, she was... Uh, it was like not ready yet. So she had to walk back and then she said like in Japanese, yondene, which is like, call me, you know, when you're ready or whatever, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. if you look at that, you think, wow, she actually used the correct grammar for the correct situation. But the truth mm -hmm. of the matter is that she's actually just hearing other people use a particular set of sounds in a particular situation. And so the way natives learn a language is they're connecting the meaning of something with just sounds. And it's only later that they understand, ah, okay, I can take this and then I try to apply that in other situations. So that's why you see little kids, like English speaking kids, they will say something like, I go to the park. So mm -hmm. they're, they're taking a rule, they understand how it works. And then as they get older, they're not just copying what people do in situations. They're beginning to apply that in other ways. And, and that's how you see little kids, you know, they learn the, uh, the mistakes or the things that you should be saying instead, and then the parents correct that. But that's how you learn. And so I was thinking, how can I take something and apply that to language learning and enable not only my adults to have something, but, you know, my own children or other people around the world who want to learn? Because there really shouldn't be English for Japanese speakers or English for Spanish speakers or something like that, because that's only mm -hmm. going to teach you in a kind of logical way, here are what the rules are and here's what you need to remember for a test, but it's not gonna help you uh, acquire the language and make it your own. And so when I talked before about agency and ownership, that's that, uh, the command of the language that comes with knowing how to say something without needing to think and translate in your head before you speak. So that big hurdle that through the, you're talking a lot about the discovery, this kind of intrinsic you know, matching. And I found myself doing a lot of that type of in, inline correction of my older daughter, you know, when she's using the wrong past tense of this verb or this and that, or this or that. I do find myself correcting her. And then, you know, a month or so later, she's using it properly. Like, like what you said, this kind of like connection oriented learning, how do you overcome the, you know, they're seeing things, you are talking to them, you know, it's an auditory experience at first when the kids are learning to speak. How do you meld that with the visual aspect of actually seeing the thing in, in place? That's a huge hurdle for those younger kids. I, I know it matters for us because we're, you know, we're trying to teach our younger kids to read. It's kind of easier once somebody already understands that these, these shapes or these structures, like you said, with the poster, they mean something. So you already know that. And so you're trying to intuit what it means. How do we get the kids over the hurdle of understanding that these weird shapes that that we're looking at are, are those sounds. That's, that, that's been a big hurdle for me, for my younger daughters, almost five now is trying to get her to associate those sounds with those, with those, that's character. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, part of the, part of the thinking, like when I'm teaching my own kids or even anybody else back when I used to teach this manually. So this whole system that Frederick is, it was just a thing that I did actually with flashcards in the classroom Actually, again, I mentioned before about uh, having the idea before smartphones were really as ubiquitous yeah. as they are. I wanted to make this out of wood. So you would have wood blocks and they would kind of spin in the same way. So you could have something at home. But this just gives you a way for kids to figure that out for themselves. Uh, but you, to, you, may, you may want to reach out to Melissa and Doug. <laughs> toy, toy manufacturer. They probably love you. Yeah, I think they have like Montessori blocks uh, kind of a, that spin. It, yeah, it feels those. very Montessori. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that, again, the, the, the Montessori idea is 
you getting to discover a lot of things for yourself. Exactly, yeah. So I, yeah, I went to Montessori school for a little bit when I was younger, uh, and I really enjoyed that way of learning. I actually felt it was almost not structured enough. <laughs> so I, And it ended up going back to regular public school. That's a whole other conversation we can get into. Uh, but about this specifically, yeah. uh, making kids understand, and this is kind of a tricky thing about English because we have a letter name and also a letter sound. And so when I first start teaching them, um, you know, however old they are, I always begin with the name of the letter. And people will argue with me about this, but the reason I do it is because the name of the letters don't change. So it gives kids some kind of anchor, and often the name of the letter is connected to the pronunciation. But there's no real logical difference to a child between looking at a butterfly and saying, okay, that's a butterfly, and looking at a letter that's just a symbol and calling that a certain name. And so once you can get them to understand that, then you, you kind of like not necessarily need to explain to them so much about, okay, these have different sounds, but you can see how it's presented in Frederick that the first level begins with just the names of the letters. And then every level after that has the names of the letter sounds or the different sounds they have based on the combination. And so what I do for that, you can see in uh, like level two and level three, uh, you're learning that the rules change depending on how the combination so if you first teach them the names of the letters, and that's just to give you a language literally to, to communicate about, okay, this is the letter A or the letter I, um, but now we're going to take these and put them together, and if we put them in this combination, they produce this sound, and if we put them in this combination, they produce that sound, and really it's just through repetition, but letting them explore that and then seeing if they can figure this out, uh, and then it's kind of like it's kind of like a puzzle, really, for, mm -hmm. for getting kids to understand how, how the letter names transition to the letter sounds. And then you can ask them questions like if we do A, B, and that sound is ab, and then we also have A, T, and that becomes at, what happens when we get A and then P? Once they, so we, we've kind of built it up the same way we build up an understanding of mathematics. And that's how you kind of over time do that. But I would spend a lot more time uh, just with the review and having them apply that, uh, that understanding or that practice in different situations. So what I'll do is I'll have my daughter use the app or I'll write it down on a, a whiteboard or, you know, just say, oh, hey, like there's on some sign on a street, you know, here's the particular letter combination. So it's through the review that they, they come to understand that and it becomes more of a natural um, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's kind of the opposite, really, of how adults learn. So we need to have as adults, like, why does that work? What's the grammar behind this? Why do we, yeah, why do, we yeah. do it in this way? But kids are much more uh, accepting of just this is how it is. And so if you say something, they, they wouldn't ask you, why do we call it this word and not that word? It's not until they get older that they begin saying, oh, okay, well, this other language says it like this, or why does this grammar rule not apply in this situation? When they're young, just like that example I gave earlier about my younger daughter, Noelle, saying yonine, uh, she doesn't have any reference for what that means, or which part of that is even a word or not a word, or is it all one word, or something like that. Even you listening right now, assuming you don't know Japanese, that maybe that sounds like one word to you, or maybe that's a couple of different things. You have no idea. But once you understand this connection of sounds works with this meaning, or I can get someone to do something, or this verb means something, it's more about just getting them to make that connection and then reviewing it again and again. From what you're saying, you, you had them associated the name of the letters. I, I know a lot of the phonetics programs don't even start with the, the names of the letters. They just go right into the sounds. They, yeah. they, just, buy, they just completely bypass that. I know was a taught what teach a kid uh, to read in 100 lessons right. yeah. um the the curriculum program that we're currently using which is all about reading just jumps right into the phonetics but they do do a lot of the same type of things with that association where they'll take you know a three-letter word cat and then they'll be swapping out one letter and they'll use kind of manipulatives on like a on like a grease board with magnets and we'll be swapping them out so you would actually have somebody who's listening, maybe has a young reader or a young learner to actually start with the names of the words and then move into the into the phonetics? Yeah. So I would start with oh, I'd start with the names of the letters. And the yeah. reason you do that is because you need to have an anchor in some way where yeah. this is always what something means. And that's more for the psychology of, OK, what we're going to do after that is 
now we're going to show you how the rules are broken. But if you give okay. them some kind of rule first that says, okay, today we're talking about this letter, or if you want to explain the spelling of something, you would do it using the letters. You wouldn't do it using sounds because multiple letters can make the same sound. So when you're teaching a child, you begin with the alphabet for that reason. Now, other people would say, well, it's maybe not useful to do it that way, but I haven't, I don't know, I haven't seen a compelling argument why you would not want to do it that way. And it's, again, it's more for, it's more for the, like the psychology, like I mentioned before. I'll give you another like quick, just example about this. It's not related to learning to read at all. Um, but let's say you have two credit cards that you need to pay off. Uh, the first credit card has uh, like a hundred dollars in debt on it. Uh, and it's got, you know, 20% interest rate. And the second credit card has $10,000 on it. And, you know, same interest rate, which one would you want to pay off first? A smaller loan. Why? Because you can knock it off faster and then roll that payment into the larger one. Yeah. So even even just looking at the credit card from your mind's perspective, it's just two credit cards and they're yeah. actually viewed equally from that. So if you can cut that first one off, then like, wow, now I only have to pay off one. And that momentum is much more uh, psychologically exciting to you than what would oh, seem sense. kind of logical about we're going to try to pay off the other one. So that's why sometimes you might think like, well, most of the uh, like the reading is done not using letters. Uh, it would seem like it's a good idea to to use uh, just go straight into phonics. But again, when you're trying to talk about how do you spell this or trying to communicate, this is the letter we're talking about right now, especially when you're not actually showing a letter. Uh, it's much easier to have that anchor first. That, that, so that breeds a lot more uh you know, the, the security or the certainty that a child needs to have something starting out. So it's kind of like teaching math in the same way. You teach the names of, you know, what the numbers are, what they refer to, and then you can start playing around with how they work. That makes a lot of sense. We started our daughter uh, off with a another program in her pre-K called Logic of English, and it started off with videos, fairly colorful, playful, but the videos basically said, uh, you know, uh, a, ah, the three sounds of a, and it was all about, uh, a, ah, uh, a, ah, and I could just see her like being overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And, and yeah, so we confusing. chose to go it's, with something different. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's hard for me to think about all the sounds. Of a. Well, yeah, and a, a is the first letter. Yeah. Like if you're like, tell me all the sounds of a, I don't, I couldn't. It, it would take me a right. It was funny when we were watching the video, I was like, Oh, 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 there are three sounds of it. Like we even ourselves were looking at it and A is the first letter of our daughter's name as well. So I think she was just like, but mine is a uh sound, right? And yep, she just, yep. it, you know, it was, it was very overwhelming for her. So I, I can see how this approach would be really helpful uh, to folks. So, so we've talked a little bit about getting, getting started with uh, the methodology. Can you go into more detail about how the app works, uh, the level structure, and we've had some time to play with it, but just for our listeners. Sure. Uh, so going after the alphabet, again, that's the reason we have the first level. And mm -hmm. I want to make it clear to people that I haven't really done anything revolutionary other than enable kids to do the same thing that most kids have been using to learn to read, you know, since people were learning to read. The only thing I've done is make it so that kids could actually do it themselves. And that's that is like really the important innovation about the app. Um, but it's teaching phonics, but it's just going through them in the same steps that you would take normally. So you start with the alphabet, you start with short vowels. Uh, so that's like a, 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 and a, uh, and then you have consonants, and then you start putting those together, and then you start doing blends, and the whole app has 35 levels. It covers all 44 sounds of English, although not every spelling, because that would get a little ridiculous. Um, but it goes through all of the levels in a very simple step-by-step -step format, which, and I, I think it, it took me almost like a year just to sort through what words should be taught and in what order they should be taught in. Uh, because looking online, if you go and just have, let me find a phonics list, something like that, uh, you're going to struggle to find anything where, uh, number one, there's a consistent order that phonics should be taught in other than maybe the alphabet, if people, again, like some people even disagree with that. Uh, but often people will make the mistake of teaching multiple phonetic elements at the same time even just really because something is a more commonly used word. So an example would be the word bread. Now we have 
looking at a word like bread, we have the blend BR. Uh, and then we have the uh, the vowel digraph, or you know, what, and I don't even like trying to teach parents what particular sounds mean because it's you know it's not really important for actually helping kids. It's another reason I didn't want to make a video series teaching people how to do it, where it's like today we're going to look at consonant digraphs, and then adults they, <laughs> their eyes are glazing over as well because they don't they just don't <laughs> care. People want kids who can read, and so let's get straight to the the point here. Um, but if you look at that, you're confusing a child by teaching them too many things at the same time. And so if you think about it like a staircase, if you have evenly spaced steps that enable you to take one at a time, you could really move up those stairs as fast as possible, just you know, very quickly. But if you uh, start introducing gaps into those or you make some step needlessly higher than the others, then you're going to find actual parts where it becomes really frustrating. And part of that is because of people teaching those multiple phonetic elements at the same time. And so what I've done is actually meticulously gone through with over 2000 words and just made them. So there's a really simple way for you to look at each individual sound in isolation while comparing it to other things that are relating to that. Uh, so an example, like I gave before about cup and or like bat and bit and bot, that kind of thing. So you're comparing the different short vowels and seeing how they relate to one another, which also provides more practice, but you're not teaching too many things at the same time. And so if I'm trying to teach something to a child, uh, and I explained this actually in a, in a recent YouTube video where I'm talking about triangulation. Uh, and I was explaining even just a simple idea you can teach to your own kids about this to understand the idea. The reason humans have two eyes or two ears instead of just one is because we need to isolate where a sound is coming from. And that's nearly impossible to do accurately with only one ear or one eye. So you can get a general idea of something. But as soon as you have two eyes, you can say, oh, OK, I've really got that. Like if you just you know, people listening right now, if you look at the things in your room and you cover up one eye, you can see generally, okay, I know it's over there, but you can't tell the depth until you have that second eye available to you. And so when we're learning things, we have as many different points of reference to compare something. And that's why repetition becomes important, but also just very simple comparisons where we only change one variable. So it's kind of like a science experiment. If I have a TAB is tab, and then I give you TAP, and that becomes tap, then you hear, oh, okay, like I only changed one thing and the sound changed in this way. And in that way, again, without any parent trying to tell you what something is, you discover that yourself and it becomes much more memorable. Hence, you can learn uh, much more, uh, just make it much more easy to learn. It becomes a lot faster to do that. So using that idea, I just went through and again, a lot of the time for developing the app was actually just figuring out what order to teach things in because I couldn't find any list online or with a school that had already developed that system. But there's nothing different about the app other than we take the phonics, teach it in steps, and then we also give commonly used sight words. I think there are like 200, like all the Dolch sight words are used. Uh, and for people listening, just a very quick uh, introduction to teaching reading. Basically, you get about uh, 84%, 84% of the language can be decoded and this means you can break down the sounds of the language uh, or the sounds of a word uh, into something understandable so you'd have a, like a word like cat where you got uh, k at so you can decode that but a, a word like the uh, if we were to decode it phonetically it would sound more like the so the uh, is something that you have to learn and you see the word the often enough that it just becomes something very easy that a kid would recognize. But again, part of that is is applying those same kinds of uh, words. And so even a word, I think the word the isn't taught until level four or five when we're actually do, uh, introducing uh, digraphs. And so a digraph, and again, I don't even want to give you know, too much of the, the names of things, but uh, so a digraph is where you start taking two or more letters and putting them together, but they create a new sound as opposed to a blend. So a blend would be something like uh, FL in the word flag. So we're not changing the sound of F or L, we're just blending them together as a full sound. But TH, we're combining that to make a new sound. So when you're talking about this discovery method, I, I can even draw something into my, my own life. Um, when I went to college my first year, I one of my science classes, my physics class, actually did a discovery method of learning as opposed to 
you know, having some teacher at a board, writing down equations, doing example problems. We actually learned for the entire year through experimentation where they would give us the tools, they would give us some simple um, steps, and then we had to go off and actually do the experiments, take the data, and then kind of reverse engineer the physics by actually doing and doing the actions. And I found that to be kind of a, a really different way of approaching the same problems. And I did notice a lot of students actually grasp the concepts a lot more because they did have that experiential learning, that discovery method. To pull that into what, you know, with Frederick, we, we've been doing a kind of a box curriculum, you know, books, note cards, things of that nature around the, our reading curriculum. And we had some initial struggles with, say, blending sounds together. And that was kind of a big hiccup. We did a podcast about that, you know, a couple episodes ago about some of the challenges we had. And we kind of came through that. And one of the things I was using was actually your app alongside with the curriculum is kind of like an extra piece of equipment that I could use to help teach her and get her through those those hurdles. You know, my daughter's a very auditory learner. And so one of the things that I found about your app that was really helpful is that she's being told the sounds and then she's using those sounds and associating them to the word as opposed to trying to, you know, remember and recall from her own brain, you know, what that sound is for that letter. Are there any other type of problems that you see that parents have when they teach reading that where they can use this app to kind of overcome those problems? I know you, you're big on the discovery method and kind of this intrinsic motivation of just letting the kid find find the thing. Are there other problems that we do as parents or as maybe young homeschoolers that are common issues that maybe can be alleviated by this, by using the app? Yeah, I, I think you actually, you said it perfectly. The app is a tool uh, yeah. and you combine that with kind of what, like what the actual learning system should be. And it's the same thing that I'm developing now for language mm -hmm. learners. There's the time spent learning something where you discover things by yourself and you understand the rules, but the fluency is developed through practice. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you actually spend more time as the parent, instead of having to teach them something. So imagine if you only have, you know, an hour or something like that, if you have to spend half of that time using flashcards to teach you know, the sound or the rule or something like that, that's 30 minutes that you've lost for actual reading practice or playing some kind of game where you get to review what they use. So Frederick is valuable as, as a way of teaching. But in addition to that, I highly recommend, and this is what I do with my own daughter. I mean, we just, we work through uh, like leveled readers. Uh, I think like A to Z reading uh, is, is a great resource for people, but really anything that allows you to have uh, applying what you're learning in a different context because it's it's that that number one proves they can do it so you don't want kids to just review the same thing again and again because they're learning through memory rather than actually understanding the rules and so if you would take something like Frederick and then write it down on a piece of paper uh, it's the same exact words but the the new context proves that they can actually read it or not so you give that hey there's that street sign that has this phonetic element or whatever that thing is. And so you're going to ask them to try to read that thing or even to try to write it. And so you apply these different, you know, modalities, if you could call them that, but it's just different ways of like that triangulation idea that I explained earlier, where you're giving them multiple ways to review something. And that's what makes it more concrete for them and says, oh, there's an actual application for this thing. I'm not just learning these weird sounds for no reason. Uh, and then all of that builds on itself, but it's more about using a tool instead of the parent. And this is the crazy thing about teaching people to read, that it's it's really made to be such a complicated thing that parents first have to try to understand how teaching reading works, because many of them have kind of forgotten how to do it or what sounds make what. And I mean, unless you've got an interest or some kind of training in it, it's almost impossible for you to remember. I mean, most people, if I said, hey, what letter comes after H? And people might, some people might not know what that is. And it's just because we're, you know, we often don't remember things like that. But mm -hmm. uh, if you're trying to teach your child, you use a system uh, where they can actually learn themselves and then they begin applying it something else. So it's similar to having your child play a video game by themselves and then you play that video game with them or, you know, use those same skills in some other context. How, how important is a mentor to the teaching um, you, you're you're talked to you know really eloquently about the idea of a of a student kind of discovering things through the 
you know, through struggling and through the struggle, they find the meaning and what they, what they're learning. And they, that creates some deep ingrained um, respect for what they've learned. How important is the mentor in maybe what you've seen in your life and also through maybe your YouTube channel? How important is the mentor in that relationship? Oh, I think it's incredibly important. Uh, I think more more people. I think actually with uh, with the Corona now, you're going to see a lot more people doing kind of personal learning things. Or the, the whole learning landscape is going to be transformed by that. So people learning more with their parents or uh, people related to them or just in their community. But the the idea of mentorship, not only are you getting someone who's been there before, they can look at the mistakes you have and they can maybe understand or try to say, oh, like, you know, obviously something like Frederick, it's not looking at your mouth or actually listening to the way you pronounce sounds because it's much more about reading than trying to communicate in a certain way. Uh, But the person who's reviewing it, like a tool, can tell you if you're using it correctly or also... Uh, and this is even more powerful, but give you that that motivation to say, fantastic, you did it. Uh, so we try to put that into the app, you know, with the little guy. We didn't even come up with a name for him. Actually, the, the idea for the app is that it's supposed to be a kind of an alien, like crash landed on Earth. And so yeah. the, the device that you have is actually some kind of device that he's trapped in. And the, we want to put you collecting spaceship pieces or something like that. I think as, as, I, as it's not even complete yet, I want to add more things to it. But uh, part of that is because we wanted to not just have a system where you're looking at things, but that you're motivated and you're excited to do it. And the adult or teacher can provide that same feedback. So it's great for motivation, uh, but also giving you that like, hey, you should do this or trying to push you in a new way or try applying something in a different well, for, for what it's worth, our daughter loves the little celebrating alien. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I've noticed that she's really gravitated to, and maybe you can maybe expand on a little bit, but the the games where, say, it's the puzzle piece or it's the shooting of the character, you know, the, the block where the character's kind of coming down and she's got, she hears the word and she's got to find it. You know, with our reading program, I think we've only gotten through maybe 13 of the letters and their sounds. But I've actually found that the more she plays the game, she's actually picking out um, sounds that she knows. And maybe she doesn't have all the vowels. I think right now we're only at one vowel with letter A. Um, But she's actually been picking out U and O and I using the context of the words around it. And I think that has actually brought her up a little bit. One of the big hurdles I had, and I I explained it great probably nauseating depth on our, on our reading per, our podcast that we had a couple episodes ago was the struggle that I had. This just unbelievable struggle of the sounding out the words and watching her kind of shut down because she couldn't do it. But I've noticed using the app and her, her ability to kind of like, as you said, intuit what that sound is, maybe even by saying, well, I know that T sound and I know the P sound, but I may not know the you know, O sound, but I know those two. I heard the other two sounds. So I'm going to guess it's this one and she gets it right. I think it's actually helped a lot kind of overcoming that sounding out and blending of the words together because she can, you know, the game has that, you know, element of, you know, speed. And so she has that sense of urgency. It's fun. She enjoys it. And it kind of pushes her through that, maybe those barriers that maybe I was creating for her doing kind of this old school, you know, over the shoulder type of education, she was kind of got a little bit more free and she was able to kind of overcome those problems. I've noticed that the last like week or two that she's been playing those games at a, at a quicker rate. Yeah. Right before dinner tonight, she was, she was doing the one there's a, for our listeners, there's a, there's a game there where there's a puzzle piece and there's three different sounds that you click on and it it says three different words and you're trying to find, you're trying to fit the puzzle piece to the correct word. And she did fun right before Mm -hmm. dinner tonight. And she was like, uh, and she did and i heard her sound it out and, and then do it and, and she hasn't learned any of those letters well, in the formal program she only and, had n but she had the f and u and she, it's like you didn't know those I, I know you don't right know those. but she kind of did like i think that's the thing and that's one thing that i've been doing in the reading curriculum in the last few weeks is i've actually had done some like very small spelling tests because i noticed that she's so auditory in her learning mm-hmm. that i've been able to just you know say the word sound it out and then she actually can spell the word coming out of that she wouldn't have been able to do it the other way around like you know sounding out the word but she can actually spell it by hearing it so the game actually has this really great element that i think dovetails a lot with her learning style have you noticed um different learning styles and have you tried to adapt the the app towards that 
like there's um, auditory, there's visual kinesthetic. and kinesthetic. Have you tried to incorporate some of those ideas in there or is that not something that is your focus? I don't know. Uh, well, first of all, I, I think it's great that you are, you're like open to learning and trying things in a new way and that you're even seeing, well, if we try something different, she could benefit from it. And it's, the app is doing exactly what I designed it to do. Uh, and that, and that's again, uh, giving her a way to test something and, and to feel proud about doing that and to learn. And she doesn't even realize she's learning as mm -hmm. she's doing it. Because again, mm -hmm. we as adults, we put that idea on that, that like, okay, now this is a lesson because we're teaching reading rather than when you just talk to your child in an everyday way about, yeah, that's a, that's a bluebird over there. And she's like, oh, it's a bird and it's blue. Like that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so that same kind of thing, if you relax and not try to put in front of the child that, okay, now it's, school starting time and we're going to do this and, and make you again it's changing that kind of psychology of it and making it more of a game where you discover something but the real joy comes when you get to apply what you learn in the app outside of it and so if she's reading a book and saying yeah like i figured that out like i understand how that works and that and they, it's kind of a self-reinforcing thing uh, but to speak directly to the you know the different modalities of learning part of me as an educator um disbelieves that in a way, uh, okay. but part of me also recognizes that if I can combine different ways of, you know, like in the same way that we have different styles of games in the app, like some are for spelling, uh, mm -hmm. some are for reading, uh, some are for, you know, doing sentences, and we've got speed, and we've got, you know, the, the things that you mentioned about making it uh, more of a challenging thing, and we can talk a little bit about gamification and how that works, um, but all of those things are enabling uh, whatever the strength of the child is, but really it's, I don't know, I, I think most kids are able to do things in different ways because all these skills are combined together. But I think what happens is that most people will uh, maybe, what's a good way to express it, like kind of unfairly or uh, in, an, in a not so... I guess, deserved way, try to push a particular way of learning because they think like, mm -hmm. oh, my child is an X kind of learner. When if you, I, I haven't seen a child or even an adult that the app didn't work for. And I think mm -hmm. part of that is because it obviously has like sound and you're enabling kids to do things by themselves. And you got the, the kinesthetic part is where you get to move things. I don't know if you tried like the, the same level where your daughter is playing um, the, that it looks like there's kind of like a press coming down with the different letters and they're spelled differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you can use that. We actually built in redundancy into the app, depending on how people actually like to play. So if you try different things, and this is something I don't like to explain to people because it's more fun when they discover it, but you can actually tilt your screen and that will move the cannon back and forth if you didn't discover oh. that already. Uh, yeah, you've got yeah. our daughter does that. Okay. okay. So I, and got... I like that one because it's, it's got nonsense words in there because sometimes yeah. if the, if the words are all real and she knows like the first letter, she'll be like, Oh, only one of these starts with F and I know yeah, yeah. it's start, you know? And so, but that one's good because it, it trips her up and she has to stop and think. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole point. So we wanted something that would actually not only make it uh, more challenging for kids, but actually prove they can do it. And so that's, again, another reason why you take what you do in Frederick and then try to write the words down or even have her try to sound them out. So you can take a word like fun. And if you notice, oh, she she keyed into that word for whatever reason, you say, hey, try to like write this down on you know a paper on a whiteboard or try to make magnets and, and try to make that word again. And so you can take the sounds and you can say, oh, like, can you sound it out rather than can you spell it out, which is kind of a step removed and it's a little bit more challenging. Uh, but if you say, can you sound this out? She will say, ah, uh, and then take that and then uh, make those out of letters or something like that. But it, it gives you lots of different opportunity to try that. Uh, I think the, the reason I'm, I'm not such a big believer in the, the different modalities of learning is because I think a lot of the, uh, it's because people are, are still using the same fundamental idea of teacher teaches child. And then we're going to try to, it's almost like a gimmicky kind of thing where we're going to do that in different ways. So I'm going to have the child remember my rote learning lesson by jumping up and down, or I'm going to do it by writing, or I'm going to do it by uh, making them watch something. Uh, 
But those are all, if you imagine kind of the learning on branches of a tree, if you go back more to the trunk, it's more about discovering things for yourself. And then it doesn't matter how exactly you learn that. It's more like, ah, I, I understood how something works simply because it was presented to me in a logical way where only one thing was different. And like you mentioned before about the science experiments in school, that's what this is. It, it, is, a, is a, it is a science experiment or you're making a hypothesis about something. This letter probably makes that sound. Let me test and see if it does. Oh, wow, it actually worked. Now I have a kind of rule and I'm building up my own system without even realizing I'm doing it. Part of what you're probably angling towards is the entertainment aspect that, you know, it's something you enjoy doing and then you learn easier by enjoyment. You talked a little bit about gamification and that kind of goes right to my heart. Um, you know, I do some, I do writing as just kind of a hobby and gamifying my, the number of words I've written and trying to get to a certain goal by numbers or crossing things. My wife will attest how much I love crossing things off on lists. Mm-hmm. Um, Even if they're not done. My <laughs> software development life of being, you know, doing Kanban boards and, and seeing the satisfaction of moving things across and finishing them. You know, can you talk a little bit about the gamification aspect that you embedded into the, to the app? Sure. Uh, So this, again, goes back to the idea. I want to be clear for people. The things you mentioned about, you know, you're feeling good. Okay, I I finished this. This is why people like to do lists and they get to check off the things as they're going or the the idea about the credit card before, because, you know, even if one credit card has a lot more debt on it, we feel good about having crossed that credit card off the list. And when you're looking at what I thought about for the game as far as gamification, You've probably heard about this in, you know, like a language learning app like Duolingo, which is giving you prizes for essentially doing traditional learning. So that's not actual gamification, even though people call it that. And that's because it's become more of a buzzword. But the the gamifying of something actually means you're, you're literally being able to discover something yourself like a game. And if you look at like the original Super Mario Brothers is one example that I use with people a lot. They put you, uh, there's a great video on YouTube if you haven't seen it already, maybe you have as a game designer, uh, but it's about uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, who's the creator of Super Mario Brothers. He's explaining it in Japanese, but it's got uh, English subtitles. Um, but he's explaining how they developed World 1-1, so that's the first level in Mario Brothers, uh, later after they had already developed a bunch of other things. And so they're beginning by thinking, how do we teach the player how to do something without teaching the player explicitly? And you do that through the level design. And one of the things, the first thing you notice when you start playing is that the opening screen of 1-1 begins with Mario at the far left end of the screen, facing Mm -hmm. to the right. And so that keys the player into, oh, I bet, like, even if I don't know what to do, I'm probably should be moving from left to right. And and that's one thing you, you start experimenting if I, you know, give my younger, you know, child or sister or something like that the control pad and I, I don't explain to them how to do anything, they look at that and they, they intuit that. And then again it's a hypothesis being developed and then you start figuring out, okay, should I do that? And then okay, and now an enemy is is walking up to me. What do I do to that? If I do nothing, yeah. it hits me and I die. Uh, yeah, that Goomba's I, coming. Yeah, exactly. And so they they thought, and it's really just interesting to see how meticulous they were about teaching all of the different skills you would need. And they give you power ups. They show you how to jump. They show you how to how to to get blocks. Like they even show you like where the there's like a Goomba coming. And for people who don't know Super Mario Brothers, it's like a little mushroom looking enemy. Uh, there's a port very early on in the level where you to try to dodge the Goomba, you have to jump. But that's where you bump and hit and hit like a block that you know turns into a, a flower or something like that so they're mm-hmm. tricking you almost but leading you in a way where you think you discovered that but it's them having developed a system where you figured that out so there's kind of two levels of this the the more basic one where people are saying okay we're going to give you traditional rote learning lessons if you remember 10 words i'm going to give you a sticker for today but the actual gamification is where you get to discover the words yourself and you figure that out. And it's an intrinsic reward that you get in addition to the skill that you developed. So that's that's more like it's kind of taking it to a deeper level. But as I mentioned before about these different modalities of learning where you've got kinesthetic or auditory or something like that, you don't really need to worry about all that as soon as you can figure out something for yourself. No, I've noticed that when she's doing the scrolling and she's trying to make different combinations of words, 
she's always her eyes are always looking down to the box to see if she's discovered a new word yeah. right she wants to see that new piece and and i love that that mode too with the with the dials so for our listeners it's it's dials with three well she starts with three different letters and of course it will grow and as you make different words uh kind of pictograms is that the right word pictograms yeah. come up and show what that is so if it's um, cat. sag cat, yeah. or bag or whatever there'll be icons showing and she immediately understands what that is and i think her vocabulary has grown just by hearing hearing those words and seeing that picture with them well, so it's, she understands it's funny too when she's discovered a new word like today is sag when she saw the the you know it was a flat line and then it kind of went down mm -hmm. she turned to me and said daddy what does sag mean because she she keyed in on the fact that you know your app showed her the picture that oh this is a real word but she did she hadn't actually learned that one right. or maybe she didn't really understand what that meant so i had to you know explain to her so she was it was great because now she was doing that discovery through learning oh i just want to mention quickly about why we like everything was thought out very carefully about why uh, we used icons rather than traditional pictures. Uh, and part of this comes, I remember talking with actually uh, the principal or the owner of the school out here um, when he was saying, shouldn't you have something that's like a bit more cartoony or that hmm. like is like a bit more like eye catching or something like that rather than these icons. And I walked over to a deck of flashcards that he had and I started showing him the flashcards, but covering up what the word was. And I said, tell me what this is. And he couldn't really tell me for quite a few of them. And hmm. so you will see like a flashcard if you're learning typically as a second language or even young kids are learning in school, you will have like a clown uh, eating a hot dog and standing on a ball or something like that. And, and if you look at that, if I, if, I, if I tell you an alien language or just, you know, Japanese, if I say that word is ba, you, you actually have no idea what I'm talking about. So I do as a teacher, and I might make an assumption that you've understood that, but most people are not going to say, oh, I don't actually understand what you're talking about. And then the lesson kind of continues with all these words that don't really mean anything. So what we've done is gone to try to make what is the most specific kind of essence of something. And obviously we lose a little bit of, of nuance in that. And one of the reasons I want to um, actually improve the app with having multiple icons, it goes back to that same idea about triangulation. So one way to learn a second language, even teaching yourself to learn vocabulary is using a Google image search. So rather than having one translation of something, so if I teach you the word like hashi in Japanese, uh, and maybe you think that means whatever, but I say, oh, that means bridge. Now I can tell you that, but if you were to actually search for that in Japanese and you would see all these different examples, and you would say, oh, okay, what is the essence that connects all of these different things? And so it's different kinds of bridges and you recognize, ah, okay, the, the idea here is probably bridge. And so that's why we made it originally as a set of icons that you would look at, but that's also a reason why it's not, it's not perfect for non-native English learners. So the actual next step, the next app I want to release is, is more going into teaching grammar and vocabulary and all of that, but in the same way, but actually making it so that it's clear what each of the words mean. So you would see something like SAG or whatever, and it's it's a little bit clear from the animation what it might be. But as a parent, again, this is another good reason why you have the mentoring with the app. So if the parent is like, oh, okay, try to figure out what this means, if you can explain that, or you can show something else. Okay, look, like if I sit on the sofa or the couch, like you can see that the chair kind of sags down a little bit, the little cushion kind of sags down. And so you can use those examples. Again, all of this is reinforcing uh, the learning and it's making more of almost like a web that helps you retain all that information rather than the single connection of something like translating a word oh that's terrific well th thank you so much drew can you can you tell us uh where the app is available where our where our listeners can find out more information about it i know we have some links in the show notes but Sure. Uh, so it's Frederick Learn to Read, and you can find it on the App Store or Google Play. And also, if you go to the EnglishAnyone.com, or in, you can go to EnglishAnyone.com and look up Frederick as well. We have more information there. Uh, but the English Anyone YouTube channel, if you search the word Frederick on that channel, I do a, a YouTube search there, you can see more videos that are explaining more about this. I talk more about 
uh, how reading happens. I actually go into this example about Mario Brothers in a video that's already there. Uh, but there are a few different videos that explain more about how it works if you'd like. Uh, the one thing about the app that's maybe a little bit tricky for people is that it doesn't have a bunch of explanations about how to use it. Again, because part of the using of the system itself is the discovery of how it works. So it's it's kind of a catch-22 and we're continuing to, as we test and try it out with more people, figure out better ways to make things even more intuitive. But typically, if you give the app to kids, they will start pushing buttons and playing with it. Adults are a bit more hesitant about that. So they're looking more for, okay, how do I do this? What do I, what's the next step here? But if you give it to kids, they just start poking things and, uh, you know, you could literally drop the app on an iPad into Africa. Actually, we, I'm probably, we're probably going to be doing that actually pretty soon. I was just speaking with, uh, I think the World Literacy Foundation, they want to start using the app with the kids in Africa. Um, but you could take it and drop it anywhere, but it's even really ideally suited for uh, non-native or for native English speakers, so you as you're using it with your kids, uh, or if people want to use it in the classroom, we will be developing. The next thing we're working on is making it so that you can share app data across different devices and then even across the platforms. So if you have an Android phone and an iPhone, you would be able to, let's say uh, your daughter was playing levels one through three and she saved that, she would be able to move to the opposite device or different device and continue moving from there. Uh, you would also have multiple accounts and then we want to make a version for classrooms as well. But the, the core of it was trying to make sure we have it all prepared and working perfectly for people who are using it. We're getting great results so far, uh, even from, again, non-native speakers who are trying to learn English with it and also for dyslexic kids as well. Uh, I think it's also helping some kids with dysgraphia, but dyslexia for sure. Uh, and yeah, we've got great data and I'd love to learn more about uh, how we can make it even better. So the more feedback we get, the better. Well, fantastic. I, I know we've been incorporating in our learning curriculum. Yeah, we've really um, appreciated it's it. It's been a big piece of it. And I, I re we really appreciate you guys, uh, Drew, you spending time with us and talking about your app. And, and a lot of the, I, I, I personally, I think from educators and homeschoolers, we'd like to think, see the, the thinking behind because, yeah. you know, a lot of us come into this as just parents and, you know, we have a normal day job and maybe we're not a, trained educators, but we're starting mm -hmm. to get into homeschooling. It's really nice to see kind of the, how you've incorporated the theory and a lot of the deeper thinking into, you know, such a, a nicely made app. And that helps us kind of get us up to speed. Yeah, it's really been great. Thank you so much, Drew, for taking all this time to educate us on and our listeners on your app. No, it's my pleasure. Again, I'm making this for everyone out there. And hopefully uh, I've struggled as a, as a child when I was learning to read. I just give one last quick story. I remember sitting, mm -hmm. uh, I think I was I don't know, in sixth or seventh grade and sitting in some parent-teacher conference and the teacher was telling my mom who was sitting next to me that I was two years behind where I should have been. Uh, and hearing that and seeing the face, you know, my mom kind of struggling to disguise the embarrassment and the frustration. Uh, but it was more, you know, I, I could see as well for her trying to figure out how do I help this kid learn how to read? How do, how do I get him excited about reading? And, and a lot of it is just the traditional methods that people use, not only for reading, but a lot of education, especially language learning, but it actually makes it unnecessarily difficult. And it goes against the way the brain is naturally trying to learn. And so if you can do that, there's a lot less stress and kids improve a lot faster. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!